And today we are really excited to bring you one of our newer members of the Writing Workshop KC, Stephen Hill. He, him, his is a human aboard spaceship Earth trying to figure things out through writing, shaping, talking, helping, and documenting. His present location is within the Kansas City metro area with his family, and he helps pay the bills by working for Mid-Continent Public Libraries Delivery Services. He'd like everyone to know that truth is at the intersection, so keep on intersecting. You can check him out at stephenhillwrites.wordpress.com. And on Spotify, he just launched a new station called Steve Radio with an exclamation point on the end. So you should definitely go look for Steve Radio. Um, I feel like this interview was, was so tender and we covered a lot of ground, but Stephen is, he has an insight and an introspection into writing and the intentionality in his own purpose that I just, I really love. Yeah, he, I, I love his own unique voice, his own point of view. I love that we get into toxic masculinity, uh, sci-fi, talking about being a very sensitive person as a child growing up and continually to exist in that sensitive space and, and having that be kind of an access point to creativity. Um, of course, we talk a lot of shit about capitalism. If you haven't figured <laughs> that out yet. Um, <laughs> and well, why do we have to be imperial is a question uh, we are asking. Truly the thin veil between the horrors that we don't want to face as a privileged society and the realities of our collective action or our collective inaction are are something that we very intentionally dive into in this conversation. And I really couldn't have anticipated the revenge and redemption conversation with Stephen going this direction because he's pretty new to our lives, you know, but he's, he's such a powerful presence. And I'm, I mean, I'm very, I feel very uh, invited to participate by the sensitivity and with his approach, you know? Yeah. Big same. And I'm just, I'm excited for him to put a collection of stories together. Cause I, re I really like the worlds he creates and I'm intrigued by his, his mind, his imagination, his interest. He does very complicated math. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> he gives and, us all the details. Uh, and um, you're welcome for this conversation with Steven and his great laugh. Absolutely. You ready to go? Let's do it.
Welcome to my Ellen DeGeneres therapist office. I, hey. I, I pulled up a chair for you <laughs> for our interview. And I, 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 mean, I know our listeners can't see this, but um, I have a great filter on. So if you want to look at us, you should join our Patreon so you can watch the videos. There you go. It's, yeah, it's got a very psychologist vibe right <laughs> sit, sit in my office and let me let me therapize you a little I'm about bit to dive into your psyche oh uh, yeah yeah what did i get into here <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy oh you're you're fucking you're in for no not really oh. we we go as we go as deep as we have the emotional capacity to go on any given day so <laughs> we'll see what happens um but nice. you're steven you're you're new to wwkc but i feel like i've known you for a long time you feel like oh. an old friends well, that's very kind of you to say. And I'm uh, so grateful. WWKC is it's such an inviting uh, venue. Every, everybody's so welcoming. And uh, you've got it structured so, so welcome, <laughs> welcomingly. I don't know if that's a word. But. It is now. <laughs> Here's the thing. I want it to, I've, it's evolved over the years, but I think I want it to feel like church without the oppression or expectation. Oh, and yeah. I also kind of want, I think I just, I really hate the idea of anybody eating lunch alone in like a lunchroom. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. I feel like we are all kind of the kids who like, we we had friends for sure, but like it might be, we might be splitting the difference some days. So yeah. <laughs> like, let's all sit at the same lunch table and love each other. <laughs> it is so strange, you know, because so many of us haven't met in person because a lot of people joined after we went fully online, but it is like, Stephen, I have no idea when you came. I don't know anything about you, but it's like, you're my brother. You know what I mean? Like, oh. we're, like we're friends. You know what I mean? Like there's a comfort level. There's like, um, I expect no you to help me move. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> Can you put the shelf together? Okay. No, but there's like this weird, when you know someone through their writing, it, it really creates this kind of like intimacy in a way that like, I don't need to know the other, like, mundane details of your life right like i feel like i know you through your voice and it's such a cool way to know people oh absolutely yeah you it's a window into your inner machinations so <laughs> yeah we talked about this at great length at some point either on the podcast or in the workshop because we're like i've never seen your legs <laughs> doesn't, doesn't that seem seeing people standing up at the at the wwkc gathering that we had like a small gathering a couple of months ago just to catch up in person with a few people. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> most of you are taller than me. <laughs> and when people see me for the first time and they're like, she's thick and she's short. I can't, you can't, can't tell um, on camera that I'm barely 5'2". <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, because it is kind of like this great equalizer of bodies, like just like being on Zoom heads, because it's like we're all just kind yeah. of like the same size and the same box. Like, you know what I mean? Like the differentiation between like bodies is like really not there on Zoom. Like, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Equality and, and whatnot. Yeah. Stephen, you you refer to yourself as the. Uh, as the house self for the was it the Mid Continent <laughs> Public Library, right? Like you, you yeah. transport books back and forth between branches. That's right. And yeah. I, so here's what I'm asking. What yes. I'm asking is, do you think that because you live in the in-person literary world, you work directly with books? Do you yes. think that Zoom has in some way like 
lessened people's capacity for that, like for the desire of connection, right? Because we are connected solely through a technological aspect, which I think literary people are usually like, I don't want the internet. I only want Uh books. Right. How how does this all meld into your world? Well, it, so like technological changes that happen within our lifetime uh, change how we perceive things, but the past doesn't go away. It's more like it becomes mulch (laughs) for something new to grow. Like I, I haven't met any, anyone in WWKC in person, but we still seek out those connections. Even, even though it's, you know, through the, the internet tubes. (laughs) So we're, we're still making those connections. They're just, they're just a little different. I just, I was, I wondered because I've been immersed in the literary world for a long time. And like, I worked in bookstores for a long time and I feel very passionate about the written word, but I do come to it now from a very technological standpoint. I write on my computer so much more. I, I, uh, intake a lot more of my reading technologically. Um, do you feel like, uh, first of all, did your job, was your job suspended during the pandemic or were you still like, were you, was the library open? I don't know. Well, I actually got hired during the pandemic, so okay. they were working under reduced hours. Um, if, if for a few months, I guess they shut down just to get uh, cleaning things figured out. <laughs> so, like, we move probably about sixty to seventy thousand volumes a week between all the branches. So, wow, from a physical medium is very much alive and it's not limited in genre. Like we got, we got Amish romance to. <laughs> Did you say Amish romance? Amish romance is. Do you make thing. deliveries outside of work hours? Cause I would love for you to bring me <laughs> Amish romance. Please. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes me so happy. There's a strong like Amish or Mennonite community like near us, like in Colorado where we're building a cabin and like, they're well, always like, in these me. really cute <laughs> outfits. And I'm always like, Hey, he didn't look so like, he's kind of cute in that outfit. It's, it's a thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the Mennonite community knows it's a thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, they're not friend. aware of it. <laughs> no, one of my best friends is Mennonite, and she is my favorite fashionista. She does know it. So <laughs> <laughs> all that to say, so so it doesn't defy genre. You're moving 60 to 70,000 volumes a week, yeah. and it, it, you said it's it's every spectrum of reading in the right. tangible form of books. Yeah, people are making gardens and uh, it just – name it and and we're we're moving it and we're actually at the low end i was talking to some of the older employees there and peak season in the summer they've hit a hundred thousand volumes a week not too shabby considering we're not uh, serving the core of kansas city we're doing the periphery oh yeah that's right well that makes me really happy though because it's like to me like the library is like an institution that like i value like greatly like there isn't anything like better than free books (laughs) like what 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 are you talking about that's where i lived as a kid like that was with my parents i mean we were poor like i cannot (laughs) emphasize enough that enough of my work how poor we were but like my mom would go to the library get everything you fucking want get all of it and we would leave and i remember she would spend like 
I can't imagine they were more than a dollar. I mean, maybe they were 50 cents, but the libraries used to sell canvas bags. Yeah. So my mom, my mom would like just get each of us a canvas bag. We would load that shit up. And it was like the place to indulge. Yeah. Also, we then took them to the grocery store and used them. So I just want to tell you that I did not patent the trend of, of <laughs> reusable bags. But like my mom was at the forefront of that shit and she should be a billionaire. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, it was the place that uh, all access access was. Mm-hmm equitable right yeah. and i think that's equitable. what's so extraordinary yeah yeah there's nothing yeah. more fun than a library i it's you know you it's the one of the last places you can go and not be expected to spend any money right you can just be at the library right and you're not gonna be shamed for it right it doesn't matter where you come from in life if you're in the library you're you're there and it's great yeah and it, it, I say house elf. I I don't want to be too <laughs> too down on it. This is more just uh, delivery services tends to be an afterthought. <laughs> I think that's I think that's totally valuable because yeah. when I when I transfer, I don't know what I'm not reading any books from the library right now. I just buy them direct and then stress sure. myself out with piles of books, you know. But um, I mean, there is. I've worked in bookstores where we purchased books from the public and if we couldn't use them, we had to recycle them. I've worked in warehouses with books. So the sheer weight and volume, like the space books take up, the physical movement of them, like this is a tremendous job. So you click that button and you want to go pick it up down the street from you, but someone's carrying in like two, like 1500 pounds worth of books today, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, you're right. It is an afterthought of how it actually gets there. It's all the invisible labor, right? It's like, you know, whether you're shuffling the books of the library around, whether we're getting our two day Amazon packages, it's like all this invisible labor. You're like, Oh, well I just click a button and I request it or I pay for it. And then it arrives, you know what I mean? And like, and I think it's like, it's all those, those, the hidden labor. We talked about that, um, with Heather, you know, like motherhood and all the hidden labor that's not recognized, you know? And I think that hidden labor is, it touches so many people in our society, right? I mean, obviously there's a, a wealth gap, uh, yeah. that, <laughs> well, it's that, like, um, I, w- I want to acknowledge that functionally building transparent spaces is not feasible, right? Because you, uh, the sun, everything is hot. But if you had to look at the people that make your food, whether you're in a drive-thru or in a restaurant and they weren't blocked off, if you could see what actually has to be added and removed from semis when they transport your shit across the country, like, I think it would change people's behavior and association with the amount of effort it takes to have this kind of this kind of access possible. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it's also a privilege for me when I say like, I don't shop at Amazon. Like there's some Mm -hmm. people where it's like, that might be the only option that they have and it is the cheapest option or X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's the same thing with like a lot of our food preferences, like, you know, like, oh, I choose to eat this, not this. Well, look at the people who don't even have an option if they can have a, uh, a, a gluten dislike or something. You know what I mean? Like, so. <laughs> can we please call this episode the gluten dislike? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're in a food desert, you are not going, you know, maybe quick trip is your option. 
<laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, we talked about this recently because I, um, I, I Vanessa, were we talking about this in a private conversation? I said, like, I don't, I it took me years to drink out of a faucet because in the last place that I lived with, well water, and there was silt mm-hmm. in the well water pipes. So, like, you didn't drink out of the faucet because there was dirt in that water and, and whatever else. And yeah. um, so it was, we had bottles of water. And it's like, I, I know that we dramatically contributed to the unrecycled, you know, bottles in landfills now. But there was, one, there was no recycling service. And two, there was no running water. Like, these right. were our options. And yeah. so when people are like, oh, just get some water out of the tap. I'm like, I'm not trying to yeah. drink poison right now. What are you talking well, about? Yeah. And, like, Kansas City is notoriously known for, like, really bad tap water and their lead. And, like, because, like, since Flint, Michigan, like, all these city like, statistics of our cities, like, tap water have come out. Like, we have terrible tap water. And it's like, you know, again, like, I can go buy the filters at Target if I want. And, you know, a lot of people don't. And that's where, like, the shame comes in, like, with this whole, like, health food industry, too, because it's like some people only have access to the quick trip because they maybe they don't have a car to get anywhere else. Or, I mean, there's so many, like, layers that go into like shame isolation uh invisible labor and um you know fucking capitalism <laughs> Jeff Bezos and elon musk and and whatever buzzword i can throw at you Stephen, i've got to say i loved how many stabs that you took at bezos for so many weeks in a row and i oh. am, i'm missing those in your writing but nonetheless Okay, so we yeah. let's get back to you though, Stephen. You're my you're my subject of interest. And what I want to know is have you have you always worked in a literary or writing environment or like how did how did you come to to writing and is that relevant to your place of employment? Well I probably always should have. Because <laughs> I, I wind up orbiting back to it anyway. Um my personal development, I so I grew up as a very sensitive child. I, I would cry at the drop of a hat, right, when I was little. And it was, and it wasn't just, oh, oh, this person has, you know, affronted me. And, and then I'd be like, what has happened to this person that they would do this to me? You know, <laughs> it was, uh, I had a lot of pathos. <laughs> And um, writing about it, it w- was a way to kind of put a handle on it. But it never really clicked in my mind that that was a path you could take in life. It was, it was writing. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no one sits you down. It's like, would you would you like to do X, Y, and Z in the creative world, right? Yeah, like, that, that's yeah. why I studied journalism, because oh, okay. no one said you could be a creative writer but yeah. like if, if you want to write and you want a job, this is the one place where that, that might actively coexist in capitalism. You know? right. Well, it also makes me think like my partner um, at a very young age would make like a family newsletter and he'd like put this whole big family newsletter together and he was like really creative. He was always writing. And instead of his family, like, noticing the creativity and the writing and, like, oh, maybe we should offer him some, like, writing classes. You know what I mean? Instead of, like, taking notice of, like, what your child's, like, natural interest and inclination is and maybe, like, foster that. They're like, oh, like, go to wrestling and then, like, go be a doctor or something. You know what I mean? Like, it makes no sense. And then you're kind of setting yourself, your child up for failure, right? So it's, like, it's interesting, you know, you found 
this very like um almost like intuitive authentic way to come to this writing you're like oh this is like helping me get a handle on things right oh yeah yeah it i it took me a while to have that vocabulary um like i didn't come into the world knowing what toxic masculinity is right (laughs) i had an intuition though (laughs) you know that it's like yeah i'm feeling things and it's okay that i'm feeling them um and I might have to, you know, be in a, in a position where I'm the pearl having to build an oyster <laughs> in order to protect myself as I move forward. Um, what a line. Can I, know, I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but what a line. <laughs> also, like, you know how they teach us the 50 nifty United States song in elementary? Like, there really should be, like, a toxic masculinity song that's taught to, like, elementary school children because I think this could, like, solve a lot of our problems later on in life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, all the crap you suffer going through uh, the school system, which is – you look back at it and you're like, it's like, Oh my God, I was in prison. You know, it was prison light, you know, <laughs> but it, it, it was very indoctrination and orientation for crapping out work bots for your capitalism. Yeah. And, uh, the people I think I resonate the most with came to terms with somehow preserving their sensitivity so that they could be creative um, later on. It, 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 there seemed to be like, uh, there's a Venn diagram where, where people secured that so that it wasn't crushed. Because um, the folks that didn't have that advantage, they're, they're very blunt, blunt force trauma. And they're driving Nissan Armadas. <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> how do you how do you feel like how do you feel like you preserved your sensitivity as a young person, recognizing that you were sensitive and perhaps maybe you felt things so much more on the surface than other people did? Well, I, I, I think I got lucky and I, I got really introverted. And <laughs> some people would confuse it with being mysterious and it wasn't, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not actually very mysterious. I'm just, I, I'm very private. My, you know, my parents work for the state and there was an expert, I'm not going to say which positions they were, because I don't know if you heard that, that stuff with Kathleen Sebelius and her son back in the day, it, he, he, published a, a board game it had kind of a funky name and you know kansas is is just rife with culture war crap and sebelius being governor came under fire for what this kid did even though he was an adult it has nothing to do with her policies and how she worked as a governor of us you know so we were my brother and i were always very like you gotta, you gotta make sure you don't get us in the limelight, so we don't get in trouble. Because that's where the cheddar comes from, right? That's where our our meal tickets are coming from. So I, I got lucky, and uh, somehow through being private, I, I it it just stayed. But you know, you keep a, a pen and paper handy, and. <laughs> 
and it, it would it, stuff would leak out. So. Yeah. There is something too that like um, the sensitivity and like preserving the creativity. I really like that because it's like, you know, it is a bit of a cliche, but there's also uh, always uh, a ring of truth in cliches, right? Like the sensitive artist type, right? Like it's true because you, yeah. you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to have these access to emotions and yeah. uh, to connections that a lot of people like stubbornly like shut themselves off from, right? And like put right. up all the, the life barriers and then they, you know don't don't have the intake and they're not paying attention you know and so like who were some of your like influences growing up like whether it was books or movies or like what was kind of like feeding your creative brain oh uh, pbs <laughs> um you'd uh, you, you know you'd, you'd sneak downstairs and get the tv on kcpt and there'd be this show uh, with british people uh in space and creatures covered in aluminum foil and latex were coming after him and they're running into a blue box that's bigger on the inside and you're like what is going on here and it's midnight but you let the tv on too long and now you got to run back up to bed because otherwise you're in trouble and (laughs) Uh, this is also very like psychedelic for some like young child to see yeah i didn't have that word either but it was like what is what is this yeah do you think the pentagon high security access of your parents do you think (laughs) no i don't know i don't know your parents who your parents are but what i but what i do want to know is do you think that you had introversion and privacy modeled for you differently than other people do because of the position your parents were in to maintain, I guess, a public persona. Perhaps not that it's inauthentic, but that there is, that we have expectations of people in authority, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, as, as oh, yeah. the human humans we are, we eat that shit up when they fail because we're like, yeah. nom, 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 yeah. like the rest Aha, you failed. And yeah. now you're destroyed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we it it was there was like a invisible moat around our house. You know, we didn't have people coming. There was a few people from church, and they're nice, but it it wasn't the same as being like, "Hey, come on over, and we're having a block party." You know, none of the, none of that happened. But you know, um, the parents are always big into uh, literature. You know, mom's big uh, mystery buff, yeah, but and dad is too. You know, it's so Sherlock Holmes, they, Poirot, you know, all that. Did they foster? Did they? Were they? Um, I guess accepting of your sensitivity in that way. Do you feel like you were allowed to or informed of your disposition as far as like the world might kick the shit out of you differently than it does other people, or was that something that you had to like? Did you have to fight in that space to maintain that sensitivity also? Uh, not not as much. Um, it happened more when uh, I matriculated into adulthood. <laughs> and it's like, I have opinions now, and I'm going to follow through with them. It, <laughs> so it became, they, they, they got friction there, but then, you know, then you leave home. <laughs> Right, and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But, uh, you know, I still kind of carry it with me I'm, uh, of being careful not to bring shame to the family name. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 there's an inertia there. Yeah. Uh, and it, that, uh, that, that, that really resonates with me. Like, you know, there's always some kind of, like, shame or, like, um, uh, 
secretivity what the hell secretness mm-hmm. the secrets f- yeah sure like yeah. um like secretive 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 is the word we are a podcast of, of very literate well-read interesting people who are making fucking words up today like it's our job <laughs> secretive Secretive. secretive but i kind of like secretivity <laughs> it's kind of like secret creativity i just made up a I new genre it. by the way perfect um, yeah. right but like you don't talk about a lot of things right because it's like shame on the family and it's like yeah. you know like yeah. uh, my dad came from like a family of like italian immigrants and so like i always kind of like re- maybe correlated it with like that like but like i think a lot of people are just like don't bring shame to the family and like mm-hmm. you do keep a, a lot of things secrets and you don't talk about like the bad things that happen and just like sweep it oh, under yeah. the rug right like i think that affects a lot of us and like some people go inwards and just never talk and then like some people like me and jen we just don't stop talking about every secret that we've and every thought we've ever had in our head so it's like that's that's wwkc is like that's my core value turned into a gathering place for other people right because my whole life up until a certain point was like a black trash bag of just secrets and suffering and at some point like I turned that shit inside out showed everybody what was in there rinsed it off like it's I, I can't live in a space where secrets exist because I I carry around too much empathy to be able to be guilt free about certain secrets and then other things like I just can't bear the weight of. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a deep believer in kind of what you carry around will kill you. And yeah, sure. you know, I, I don't want to I'm not in any way suggesting that biology and genetics and uh, environmental factors don't play into cancer specifically. But I have a deep belief that if you carry something in your stomach or your throat or your chest and you never let that thing out like that shit will eat you from the inside out mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm so so i'm very i'm i have to live fully in the light like if there's a question you have about me or my shitty past like it, let me just air it out because i don't want to live with any potential like gotchas i've made a lot of mistakes i've learned the hard way in so many capacities and i couldn't I couldn't bear to carry that around like it wasn't real, you know? Yeah, and it's so interesting, though, because, like, we... we we take to the page. This is where we take solace. This is where we process. This, you know, we're writers, we're poets, we're thinkers, we're readers, and and so it's like that. Those are very like introverted, um, stylized activities. But then, like, we're also kind of like performers and oversharers and talkers. And and I know not everyone is comfortable doing that. But it's like you know what, Stephen? Like you, you're known for your voice. Okay, like we all love your voice. Your okay. You're your speaking your, okay. voice. <laughs> okay. Um, but, and, and there is a level of comfort. Like when we, when we hear you read, there's like this, um, there's this humor and there's like a self-deprecation, but there's also like an authority and like you, you've just cultivated, um, such a joy like we all look forward to to your reading obviously so it's like I kind of want to know like what brought you to WWKC and it's like are you using is this who you are like in your everyday or or is like do we get this Stephen oh oh and no this this is pretty authentic (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in person, there's just more of me. <laughs> 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 you 
you have to put up with that. Um, fortunately, I have a very understanding partner who is the reason I came to WWKC. So I'm a transplant from Kansas. She, uh, her name's Lisa. Uh, she, hi, uh, Lisa. It, well, <laughs> if she was here, she'd say hi back. She works nights at uh, St. Luke's. She's a CNA and um, she's a lot of, She's a lot of the best of the worst of humanity all the time. Um, but we had actually grown up in our hometown um, and knew each other. And then uh, we went our separate ways, you know. Uh, and then this thing called Facebook came around. Uh, and in Sorry, probably, what's, what's the name of the website? Yeah, yeah, I think, I'm not, I've, not, I've not heard of that before. It's Blue Walmart. <laughs> I heard a lot of I heard a lot of elder millennials around that part. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we reconnected and then uh, got together. But she, she was living over here uh in Missouri and I I moved over here uh because the timing felt right. And then you know, a few years go by and she's like you really need to do something because I, I, I don't connect with a lot of people <laughs> on my own. And, it, um, and I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, I follow this, this lady, her name's uh, Jen Harris on Instagram. Um, her handle, uh, Lisa's handle is organic mama. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, yeah, we, we comment and message back and forth all the time. Cause yeah, very yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, uh, it turns out uh, Jen Harris has this writing group, and I think you need to join. And I was like, that sounds like talking to people. <laughs> and she's like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> like, well, all right. Yeah. But you're such a good talker. It's so funny to me because it's like um, you have all these great ideas and it just like cool. seems like natural, like when you share them with us. But I mean, I guess it is in like such kind, almost like a structured environment. So I guess it makes more sense how it's kind of easier to do that because we're all kind of there showing up with like the same kind of purpose. And it's yeah. not just like we're all like wandering around the bar. Like, right. how's yeah. it going? Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a purpose when you go to WDBKC and there's when you have people uh, within the same intent, I think the environment lends itself to creativity. Uh, well, we're, not, we're not in competition, right? We're all in, yeah. we're in the camaraderie of creativity. And yeah. yeah, it's not a classroom but setting. You're playing in a band and then you could just tell when the band hits that groove, right? There's like an energy. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it, it has that kind of vibe um, props yeah. to Lisa she's like um, you need friends yeah. <laughs> she's like stop talking so much to me and go talk to someone else <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yes yes she's, uh, yeah well nur nurturing what she sees are your are your strengths you know to say like you are a creative individual and you are um, you do have this capacity within you. I mean, I think that's what makes, that's what makes good partners. I know Vanessa and her partner, Ashley are creative partners and whether that's encouragement or active participation, it's such an important thing to have in order to lead you closer to yourself, which I right. think strengthens a partnership. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 
it, we we've got a synergy <laughs> that, that works very well <laughs> and I'm, I'm I, I just got lucky it's <laughs> I like how that's your your approach to um to, to a lot of things it seems like so I want to know about so coming to writing um yeah. you you said you know you, you were sensitive and you you became introverted by out of necessity in many ways um so when did writing start for you? Has this been, and it's just been something that's carried on throughout your whole life or are you, are you new to writing? Well, uh, I, writing snippets, whatever, always had a thing, but in sixth grade, there was a, a creative arts contest for the school district or not the district, but the, the middle school. And I, I slapped dashed to the little short story about, there being uh, a detective who is in charge of finding the last piece of chocolate cake in the world. It, <laughs> I wish I knew where it was. Maybe mom has it in the basement somewhere. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I won third place, right? And I got $2. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, but I was so, I was so embarrassed because the teacher, you know, they announced, they announced this and the whole class turns and they're looking at me like, what the fuck? You know, who's this alien? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. and <laughs> I've been discovered. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's one of those things where I look back and I'm like, oh, oh, man, you know, I'm, <laughs> I should have I should have been veering off into, the, into that direction, but. But you had that collision that we all have of like your your human nature and the thing you desire. Maybe they have conflicting approaches, yeah. right? Because yeah. I would have been the kid who, if I mean, I just feel like I'm a first place kid. I'm a first place <laughs> contest winner, and I, if people had turned and looked at me, I'd have been like, "That's fucking right. That's right. <laughs> Line up. I'll start signing autographs now." Like I, I did yeah. not, I did yeah. not veer away from it. But um, I also. I joke about like having taken a 10 year break from writing. Like I graduated high school and life kind of happened to me. And mm -hmm. then I was like, Oh yeah, I love writing. <laughs> you know, like, it took a long time to come back to it. So right, yeah. I understand this, this inclination of like, it seems so obvious when you're finally uh, in that flow, but to have gotten to that place was it, it, it encountered its own struggles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a conflict with myself about, about, the idea of turning writing into work. Like, cause you know, I, I work for a living <laughs> and I'm tired when I get home and it's, it's okay. But there, there's like part of me that doesn't want writing to become like that. Right. Where I'm like, and, <laughs> and bills. The, 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 the pressure. Yeah. Like I, I I 100% agree with that because it's like once something becomes the job and yeah. the sole source of my ability to function, um, the pressure that is put on me, um, I don't work well like that, right? Like, and, and I've talked about this before, like, um, took me a long time to reframe my thinking about having... <clears throat> a real job, like not a real job. I have a nine to five job that I go work for somebody else, right? Like <laughs> right. that's not my structure. Right. And that used to 
really be conflicting for me until I was like, okay, this is like affording me to do all the things I want to do outside of this. Because if I had to take care of myself doing what I do, like I probably would be dead because nobody is going to buy my poem or watch me hula hoop. I mean, I, I just don't, I could probably actually make more money hula hooping than writing poetry. Actually. Girl, you but, can have a TikTok right in an OnlyFans right now. I don't even, you're wasting your fucking time at <laughs> that nine to five. <laughs> so true. So I'm too old now. I'm too old. You know, I don't think anyone's going to believe I'm 25 anymore. So I will subscribe to your almost 40 naked hula hoop. (laughs) 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 No, but uh, I would like to speak from somebody who has made writing their, their financial staples and, uh, you know, feast or famine, eh? So you have to, you know, it takes some time to adjust to that shit box of a, a reality because, some months, ooh, I am a baller. And some months, nobody gives a shit what I have to say. And commissions are the hardest work. Like, I tried to revolve my life, and it took a long time to do this. How there's a cat biting me, sorry. Uh, it took me a long time to get the hang of it. Like, I kept trying to double dutch in, you know, and I would trip up and mess it up. But I, I started with things like, you know, freelance journalism. And then I started like editing people's work for way too little money. And (laughs) then I started, like I started building my confidence and finding the things that I love to do and the things that I don't love to do. And what it ultimately has brought me is um, I have to be deeply intentional about the time that I spend with my own creativity because I don't ever really feel like I burn out on writing. Like my writing is still, it's kind of that pearl that has had to build its own, its own shell because my writing is so deeply intimate and personal and important to me that even if I've written all day on someone else's tell-all memoir, it, uh, I still come to my page joyfully. You know, I just, I have to take it in another medium. Maybe I'm not writing it on my computer today, or maybe I'm doing it outside with a notebook. Like I have to change the location and the vibe of, of where I work for fundraising to to fund the, the writing I truly love being part of. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's finding out where our strengths are too. Cause like Jen, I could never do what you do and you're so good at what you do. And I'm so glad you do what you do. And you're my I'm, idea, man. I'm doing better because of you. So thank you. <laughs> see, this is what teamwork is all about. Like I love, I love creative collaboration with you because it's like, you have strengths that I just don't have. Right. And it's like, and, and vice versa, like some people need a job in order to like, I'm really selfish with my writing. Like I am not about to write for anybody else. Like that's why I stay on the proofing editing side of things because I'm not about to waste my special writing for anything other than me. Right. Like I'm very like protective of that, but you know what I mean? Like you're the, the, the wisdom and the teaching and your presence and, 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 you know, like you found your strengths. Right. And Steven, like, you have I know like we we cannot be the first people to tell you about your voice so it's like we need to find you an agent you need to be doing like voiceover work I mean I know that Nicole does voiceover work you need to tap her for some resources because like like you um (laughs) you're such a Jewish mom about it you're like listen we know what you need to be doing with your life look I got an idea for you and you're gonna oh my god 100% that's exactly what I'm like but but I do I like I like seeing where people's strengths are and kind of like nudging them in a direction that like might be beneficial for them because it's like 
you know, it, it's rare. Like I get like as soon as you sent that link for Steve's radio, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And I fell asleep listening to your storytelling. And I mentioned to you in class, too, you know, like I used to listen to a lot of like old Art Bell coast to coast. And I love talking about um, mysteries and aliens and conspiracies before they turned into fucking crazy Nazis. Um, <laughs> like, <clears throat> You know, the conspiracy theory world used to be like really interesting and more about like aliens and 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 it was more like introverts or nerds or weirdos or just like randos on psychedelics wandering the desert, you know, and it's like <laughs> I see a lot of um mystery, like I see mysteries, I see kind of like sci fi in you, you know, you talk a lot about like I'm from Spaceship Earth and like you have this great like um twilight zone storytelling ability um in, in your actual words and in your delivery so it's like d does that resonate with you at all like are you vibing it, with that it all resonates <laughs> really well <laughs> those are my favorite things yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you love to write do you i don't know if you have a private writing project that perhaps you're working on or have worked on but um yeah. also what kind of genres do you enjoy embracing in your own writing how does writing work for you uh it, I, I trend towards science fiction. Um, I've had to, I've been thinking about it. So I, I, I have a couple of short stories published in, um, it, there was a little imprint house in California called dark house books. Uh, and I don't think it's, I mean, the, the website's still there. I have a feeling it was run by fairly aged kind people who might have had problems with the pandemic because um, <laughs> I haven't heard from them for uh, a couple of years now. Um, but they would, you know, they, they would do classic uh, kind of, we're writing on a theme, we're putting it together in an anthology, submit it. And uh, for some reason, the, all the circuits connect up. If, if somebody's like, Hey, here's a theme. And I'm like, Hey, all right. And uh, plus they did the traditional kind of uh, a contract, <laughs> you know, which, which was emotionally important to me. You know, I, I made a, a total of a dollar and 12 cents in royalties. It's my favorite dollar and 12 cents. Oh, I know. I've, I've gotten those pennies before. I know what those pennies yeah, look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it um, is almost shameful when like Spotify will send me royalties for my one album and it'll be like eight cents. Like, okay. yeah. Maybe you just don't fucking send this to me. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, I don't know, it, it feels better when it's... Yeah. Because you know the source. <laughs> yeah, like you it's, made it's money off your writing. Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. I know what that feels like. Like as as appalling as it is, you're like, yeah, that's like the best two dollars I've ever made. Right. Yeah. So what's the conundrum, guys? Why do you have a beef with making money off of your writing when it feels so good to make money off your writing? It, it's, it's a great question, and uh, I, I I'm I'm conflicted for some reason, and I'm <laughs> I, th I think it's starting to erode. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm starting to kind of find more of a a stake in in moving into uh, creativity as a way of getting through life. It's it's like just because you have to work under capitalism doesn't mean you're you're in the wrong. It's like that's just the way the system is right now. It's going to take a fantastic amount of organizing 
to get rid of that system. But in the meantime, you still got to eat. <laughs> um, so getting over the not feeling bad about it for some, for whatever reason, and it's probably something to do with Midwest morals, um, which it might be why I didn't get into voice work earlier because, you know, you're in Kansas City. You love it, but it's not Hollywood, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There, the, the opportunity is what seems feasible is really difficult to, it's really difficult to hone in and find the creative possibilities in, I mean, in any place, you know, it's like you can look at the corporate options. I've applied and, and interviewed with Hallmark many times. Never have I gotten that job. But I right. thought, oh, this would be a home for a writer. You know what I mean? Yeah, you if, otherwise, you have to hone in deeper, deeper, deeper until you find things like like the poetry slams, you know, things that are, are super specific to some form of literary connection. But yeah. I mean, I, I think um, the Midwestern sensibility is coupled with um, the lack of representation. Like, it makes total sense why it's so hard to come to. Sure. It's like, hey, you're supposed to get by by hard work and uh, the sweat of your brow and uh, then you die. I, you know, I <laughs> you're welcome. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like if you don't have a heart attack by the time you're 55 because you, you know, worked in the factory for 30 years, then yeah, you weren't really a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like for me, like I have no morals and I don't have an issue with um, like making money off my writing, but it has to be my writing. You know what I mean? Like I I'm not, I don't want to write ad copy like that's not going to make me feel good. And but also I understand like nobody really wants to buy poetry. Like I, I had two poetry albums that I published because I was like, oh, you know, like people listen to music. This is like an ever present thing. It's an easier form for people to digest. And maybe some people are intimidated and they don't want to pick up a poetry book and read it. So maybe they want to listen to it. And that could be like my in, right? So it's like, you know, I published these two albums, you know, and I sold them, you know, on Bandcamp for the normal, like seven bucks, nine bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, like a digital album would be. And like, nobody would buy it. So then I offer it for free. You guys just want to download and listen to it free. Nobody will download it. It's like, you know, I can't give this shit away. So it's like, even if like, if people wanted to give me money for my books and my albums, yeah, like I don't have a problem. Like I don't have a problem with like exchange of goods and services. I have a problem of like capitalistic systems. Like I'm not going to published with Amazon, like, I'm not going to like, you know, like, I don't like the um, exploitation and the extraction and the whole gatekeeping and this hullabaloo. And it's like, you know, but no, I am I actively shop my manuscripts around to like, you know, indie publishers. And, you know, I would love to publish a book, I would love to make $7 a year, you know, on my poetry books, you know, like that would that would make me the happiest person alive. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I, I find that having to, uh, oh, it's, there's this thing in writing where it's like, if, if you're not like Stephen King, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's so, the, the, the stratum is so huge. It's like, you're either mega or, or you're like, I have a day job. <laughs> Stephen, we've had a wild ride of a conversation, and I would really love to uh, take a moment to pause and uh, hear some things that you have written, because at the oh. core of this, we're here to hear about Stephen the Writer and <laughs> Steve Radio. So oh, yeah. um, I'm going to go ahead and what do you got for us today? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of pieces. Uh, one's from uh, my first published story, and the, and the other is uh, from a a work that's that's still in progress 
Uh, this is from There Is No Way Like the American Way. And uh, we're going to join Hannah and her family who are caught up in a mass exodus within their post-apocalyptic community uh, to a vast horizon-spanning asphalt landscape, which is known as The Way. <clears throat> the going was slow and tedious, and as nightfall approached, Hannah was sure it was pointless. There was nothing on the way but a bunch of guides playing games with whatever was making the smoke. Brother Jim and his flock would praise every single one of those columns, and Hannah was getting sick of it. But still, they would stop, they would go, they would turn left and right, and then right again, and then back and forward and stop again, and now this close to sunset, the way was all there was. Every direction was filled with it. There was only the families and the way and the darkening sky. Hannah's patience was at an end. She was going to tell Skylark exactly what she thought about her whole charade and get some answers. She started to move away from the other children, but then stopped. Everyone stopped. A column of violent purple smoke was racing towards the sky to their left. Damn, said Skylark. Everyone single file right now. Hannah saw the lights before she heard the noise. A long line of bright white lights was cresting a hill on the undulating way. And with the lights came a rumbling sound, dull at first, growing in pitch and trembling the pockets of dust that swirled in the wind. Do not move from the line, Skylark commanded. Hannah could feel a rumble under her feet, the breeze now a wind rushing in front of her and behind her, and soon there was nothing but white light and roar-filled ears, and Rollins Fred was screaming into her robes, and he wanted picked up, but it was not going to happen. Hannah knew it must not happen, and the lights were upon them in the front and behind, and they were rushing past, and the pitch of the roar changed as they rushed, and a giant wind sucked and tugged at them, trying to pull them apart, and Hannah could see that they were all boxes of metal and glass, cars, trucks. This is what they did. This was how they moved. Hannah looked hard into the speeding, roaring vehicles and saw nothing but bleached and hairy skulls grinning back at her. Skeletal fingers stuck to the glass windows, pleading to be let out. And Hannah thought, what possible hope could the families have if souls moving this fast could be trapped so completely. An age went by, and finally the screaming stream of vehicles were gone in a dreamy haze of soft red lights, the white lights illuminating the cloud-heavy sky. The darkness that followed was a more complete darkness than Hannah ever experienced. She heard someone crying and realized it was herself. She was not alone. Rollins Fred sobbed into her hands. Waves of anguish filled the families and spilled from them. A fiery pillar of yellow and orange shot into the night sky to the right. Skylark and her nameless companions lit and attached torches to their poles. They, they meandered about the families and hollered for everyone to press on. At the, at the end of the day, do you think you're more inspired by the revenge or the redemption story? Oh, man, you know, I am so hopeful for redemption right <laughs> uh revenge never seems to 
end well. You know, it's it's Ahab on strapped to a whale. <laughs> it's, uh, but also, you know, the the best revenge is a life well lived, right? Because if your enemies can do nothing but seethe at how well you're living, then you yeah, you win. <laughs> you know, so, but I feel that's that's more short lived because redemption, I feel goes further out into the future for people the more the more you can redeem a situation the more you can bring justice to a situation the more people are going to be drawn along with that inertia into a better future (laughs) that's part of it i'm drawn to humor for that reason because i feel that if only for a moment you can ease someone's suffering there's a lot of suffering on the planet um, and you might not have the resources to fix everything, but for a moment you might be able to provide a bomb on their way. for listening to another episode of confessing animals podcast to get the full interview with Stephen hill please join us over on patreon at patreon.com forward slash confessing animals podcast and if you have a second please go rate us on apple podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast give us five stars it helps more people find us